Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Your social media campaign can officially now change. Hashtag Lucci is out. Under the most conspicuous news drop ever under the cover of a late Sunday afternoon cowboy game, FC Dallas announces the sacking of Lucci. Why, why now, and what's next are all what we'll try to and attempt to answer in this very special episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter, and joining me for our after-school special, trying to figure out what in the world just happened. First, my favorite English man, Dan Crook. So you're saying it's not Thursday? (laughs) It's not Wednesday or Thursday. No, it is Monday afternoon. We're doing a spiff here. Damn. Oh, bugger. <laughs> and your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, the hard-hitting newsman, soccer journalist, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Well, here, I was about to make a joke about, I feel like this is one of those episodes where Carlton smoked weed or something. It's a very special episode. And then you called me a hard-hitting newsman, and I don't think the joke works as much anymore. <laughs> no, this is the episode where Dan gets his first period, and we have to let yeah. help him out oh, yeah. with that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean like the South Park version where they... No, let's not do that. <laughs> Boy, howdy. So about an hour ago, we all got off the big Zoom call with uh, Dan and uh, Andre where they got into their, their you know bits and pieces of this news. But I, I the first thing I want to figure out is... Um, where Dan, where were you yesterday? What state were you in when you found out that they had decided to shit can Lucy? Uh, Lucy, Lucci. I didn't have my phone on me for some reason, and I found out like an hour. Uh, I found out like twenty minutes after it happened. Yeah. What was your first reaction? I was surprised that that they were uh, that they were doing it at that time. Um, you know, it, it was only John Arnold and myself on the press conference just the day before. Um, you know, no great indication of, of anything happening from that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just a, l- a little bit of shock. Buzz, what's your story of of figuring out what was going on? I was watching the Cowboys, uh, and I think, actually, my wife said something strangely enough because she had her phone out for whatever reason, not being a Cowboys fan. And, uh, and Ooh, some, Amy, Amy. Yeah. And, uh, so she's smart. Yeah. No, not in that way. Uh, so then it was, uh, so it was a, um, not, I'm not going to say surprise, but I was a hundred percent caught off guard. Firstly, I wouldn't expect that on a Sunday in the middle of a Cowboy game. I would expect it on a Monday, you know, for, for, for me that like when it happened was eye opening, you know, I, I don't think I'm shocked because the general three year trend is what it is. So I'm not going to call it that, but I definitely was like, Whoa, you know, out of nowhere. And that of course then turned my day upside down. I, we were in the process of getting ready to go to the North Texas soccer game. So I tried to whip together a post really quickly and, and get something out and, and answer a couple of questions really fast. And then, you know, just, then tried to go on with my day after it got turned over. Certainly the last 48 hours have been, has it even been 40 hours? 24 hours have been crazy. Trying to it has. Up. It has. And and I think really the crux of what we're all trying to figure out here, and I'm not even sure this is really all that important now that I think about it, is 
is is this a byproduct of a spontaneous oh crap we just got crushed by Houston reaction knee jerk reaction on Dan's part Dan not Dan Crook that is Dan Hunt that is what I'm obviously talking about or is this some sort of final or first you know uh, first domino and a long play plan I I think it's a uh, two parter actually based on the things that they're saying uh, based on the idea that uh, th- this talk of it being a long and careful process and uh, Zanata was going to lead the um, search and they, but they had not started yet. I'm left with an overall impression that they had decided, uh, and this includes questions that were asked today about Lucci's contract, that Lucci's contract was through the end of the season, but it was up. They had an option, but they weren't basically going to renew it. That they had decided that they were going to go in a different direction and then you combine that with the very short-firm cratering of the defense. The defense has been not great all year, but in particular, since Maurer got hurt and Brisson got hurt, the defense has gone to utter crap, and they've been less than letting in three goals a game, basically, since then. And so that's they've already made the decision, in my mind, that at the end of the year, I think this now, I did not think this a week ago, they've now decided that at the end of the year they're going get, to get rid of Lucci. Then they're like, why don't we just do it now and see what happens and see if Jimmy Maurer, uh, not Jimmy Maurer, excuse me, Marco Ferruzzi can turn this thing over and we can make something happen. So to me, there's a double, there's a big picture concept that had been decided. And then this last minute knee jerk, because the only way this happens on a Sunday morning is if you make the decision Saturday night, Sunday morning, otherwise you just wait till Monday. I just wonder how much of it is uh, Andres or not uh, politicking behind the scenes. Yeah, there's a whole thing about the Zanata influence factor that I want to get into in a little bit because I do think that's really the most interesting part in all of this entire deal. But what, I, what I'm having a hard time sussing out in my head, Buzz, is if in, fact, if, in fact, this was not a spontaneous decision on Dan Hunt's part just to like, oh, crap, screw it, let's just get rid of him now— what what was the triggering effect? Because, you know, they keep saying, like he said it in this season ticket newsletter or letter they email they sent out yesterday. And they were and both of them, both Sonata and Dan, repeatedly said in the press conference that they fully expect or fully believe that they are somehow capable of still making the playoffs with only eight games remaining, despite the fact that the people in front of them have games in hand and they're several points behind and they're playing like crap, et cetera, et cetera. Which is how much long? How long have they been considering this, and why did they wait till now to do it? Well, uh, the wait till now, you know, or or like they usually do, wait till the end of the season, just because that's how they operate. They want to give people the whole run. I, I do think that this is why I go back to the idea that they must have already made the decision, because it, in my head, over the last week or two, I had kind of been thinking, you know. Because people ask me all the time, you know, is Lucci going to get fired? Is Lucci going to get fired? I, and I did not ever think he was just because of the way they work and how much he is an exact fit for what they said they wanted. I kind of had gotten to the point in my mind where I was like, you know, the season in terms of the playoffs is basically over. At what point do you start playing to evaluate? At what point do you double down and play all young kids? At what point do you start putting in a couple of veterans just to see what they got? And I was getting close to the point where I'm like, man, you might as well do it. Really, the season's a foregone conclusion in my mind. Well, so I think what happened was is that the Hunt and Zanata kind of, well, I assume Zanata's probably been saying this for a while. 
and that Hunt finally was convinced that, you know what, you're right, the season's basically lost. But rather than saying, start playing for the next future, because A, they haven't started a coach search yet, and B, they can't even really probably find one until the next set of windows, right? Because the, the, the Christmassy break for when you're going to go out and talk to coaches. So you combine those two things together and you get a like, well, we can't really do anything about the next coach anyway. You know, what's the point in doing something now? Well, you know what? Why don't, if we've already convinced ourselves that it's not going to be Lucci, why don't we just try something else? Why don't we go for it and give somebody else a shot? Now, that's not the reaction I would have. My reaction would be, why don't I already start building for the future and just throw away the idea that you're going to make the playoffs? But then maybe I'm thinking bigger picture, longer term than they are. They probably don't want to be out there in front of media and fans saying, oh, we gave up on the season. You know, that's hard to sell. <laughs> I think you can you can look at um, the question I asked about, uh, do you think the team that you gave him was good enough for, for the goals that you're setting? And he's talking about MLS Cup and, oh, you know, losing that second round playoff one year, it was, was so close. And the first round playoff every year was so close. And that, yeah, yeah. We're right there. We're right there, and we can still do it. Okay, you're hoping for seventh place, and you're equating that to you've got an outside shot at MLS Cup. That's, you know, that's not what your your fans want to hear. For one, that's not what coaches are going to want to hear. They're not going to want to hear. We'll give you, you know, five dollars, and we can hope you can make up the rest for your bus fare. You know, the, some of uh, Dan's answers about why, because I mean, I, I think three or four different people tried to ask him the same question just from different angles. And, you know, he never really directly answered it. But one of the more odd components of his answer was starting to calculate up not just defense, but the number of yellow cards the team had been collecting. Like, I think he rattled off the, that they lead the league in yellow cards or something. And yeah. there was some other weird stat that he pulled out of his pants that I'm, I'm, I wasn't a hundred percent sure why that, had anything to do with this and I did begin to wonder is there any possibility that he made the decision to do this now because he didn't want to appear as if he had been passive through this if if in fact they were just going to not sign Lucci again at the end of the season part of what he felt like he was doing was acting as if he was at least trying to do something to salvage the season by doing this hmm I, 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 go ahead, Dan, but I hadn't thought of that angle. Yeah, I don't think he put so much forth, for, uh, forethought into things. Um, if he did, you know, he kind of wouldn't be looked at as the, I mean, the, uh, ah, what is it? What's the, uh, sorry, I'm trying to think of the movie, Tommy, uh, Tommy Boy. There's a lot of people that refer to uh, him and Clark as uh, as the uh, brothers from that, and that you know everything's kind of always like the bumbling idiot or the black sheep of the Hunt family, or this, that, and the other. And um, that's not me calling him that. I don't, you know, <laughs> don't take my press path away. Um, but I don't think he cares too much about optics because if he did, he wouldn't. He would definitely do more to not be seen as a, a cheap owner or uh, s- someone that, you know, as owners Shave. that don't care about the team. Oh, yeah, yeah, things like that. Like um, when he's, like, gone to press conferences, like he's just walked out of, like he's just woke up on a bus bench in a in the middle of a hurricane or something like that. 
so yeah, I'm I'm not sure that that he's really putting that much thought into oh how will I look in in two three months time. And I'm gonna say also that I don't think so because I, I find Dan Hunt to be reactionary more rather than progressive. You know, almost everything they do is after the fact. It's reaction to a bad this or a bad that. You know, it's like the, how often do you see them put out a concrete structured plan that's going to pick any aspect of the business that's going to go step by step by step. And within a couple of years, there's a vast improvement in this particular thing or a vast change in this particular thing. 99% of the time, it's just status quo. We're just going to keep rolling unless something bad happens. And then there's a reaction. Yeah, but here's the thing. If if Lucci was on thin ice, I mean, this season, the, the point in which he decided to fire uh, Lucci came at a point where I think there were, there was some general good vibes about the team because of Ricardo Pepe's performances and his rise on the international scene and Jesus's better improved games and clearly the in, the, the 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 run of games and the losses and, and leaking of goals had far more to do with injury situation than it had anything to do with what Lucci was doing as a manager I mean Look, Lucci really hadn't changed anything in the last three or four weeks from what he had been doing for the last two and a half seasons. And the season clearly was way worse in terms of uh, overall attitude several months ago. I mean, I, I, I've, you guys know, I was convinced back in June, uh, May or June, that he was on the hottest of the hot seats. We talked about it on the podcast. And things had changed so dramatically that over the course of the next several weeks and months, if you had asked me on Saturday what my opinion was, I would have flat out guaranteed you that he was going to be the coach of this team next season. So I, I guess what I'm, I'm saying all, in all of this is, is that I am very confused as to what finally got into Dan Hunt's head. He slammed his hand on the table, said, screw it, we lost to Houston, he's fired, and we'll just run it out with Marco the rest of the way. I mean, do, do we really think that's what happened? Well, given the amount of times in the podcast, their their press conference, I should say, that he talked about how great the offense was and how it's one of the greatest offense in club history and how bad the defense was and how he talked about how Marco was a huge architect of some of the great defenses of the past and how Shells had all these great teams and lost great all these great teams. I wanted to butt in when he said Shells had a lot of great teams because that wasn't the case. <laughs> Shells had some good all both of those guys had good defensive teams. Like Shells had horrible offenses, Lucci and, and but really good defenses. And Oscar had really good defenses and a little bit better offense. And so that was much more successful. What that's what that's what Lucci has never had is a really good defense. And so it's obviously that's been bothering him when he talks about eighteen times about how this is the greatest offense of all time, and then keeps talking about how the defense failed and the defense has fallen apart. And I'm with you. The last month and a half, he's been wrecked in the back with defensive injuries that are none of which are his fault. You know, he's Hollings has been out, Brisson's been out, Maurer's been out, Hedges has been out in and out for three months now. He lot, you know, he, uh, he's got a seventeen-year-old kid playing right back. You know, it's uh, he lost his starting six at the beginning of the season. The first half of the season was horrible offense and halfway okay defense. That was sort of. This is a terrible combo. And then when they finally went to Pepe and benched Franco Hara, one of the great busts in club history, not a good scorer, as Dan Hunt says, they finally started writing the ship offensively, and all of a sudden the defense got even worse. Coincidentally, that's when all the injuries happened. That's not 
it's not, it's a byproduct. It's Lucci's change didn't do anything differently. So it's not right. Lucci, like Lucci screwed up the defense. Let, the defense was just, always mediocre. Let me just call bullshit on his on his uh, defense deal because the two guys that sold two right backs didn't replace him. Sold the six. Waited a while to replace him. Didn't bring in any defensive reinforcements, but felt the need to decline the option and trade away the rights of another central defender are still there. One of them is now in charge for the rest of the season. The other one is picking a new manager. Um, You know, you you can't... If you're going to make the change and say that things were just, you know, were just not there, you've got to make a bunch of changes. Even the guy, you know, the coach who is in charge of the defense, Peter Lucene, as well thought as a, of as he is, you make some kind of change. You say he comes off that, or and you know he goes goes back to coaching midfielders, and you bring in a defensive coach to work alongside Lucci far earlier on, or you get rid of everyone. You're saying, all right, we're starting from scratch. Yeah, kind of funny that the the guy responsible for the offense, Mikey Veris, is out. And Lucci, responsible for the Lucci ball methodology attacking, is out. And yet, this is the greatest offense of all time. And the guy that was mostly responsible for the defense is still there. The guys that were responsible for the roster construction are still there. So I'm not sure that a lot of what gets said is slightly disingenuous. And it's just what's available to point out recently. You know, in the end, no one's going to convince me that they hadn't already decided that this was going to happen. And they just chose to go ahead and do it early. And just see what happens with Marco. Because now they can run with Marco and say to him at the end of the thing, well, you had your shot and it wasn't good enough or it was good enough. And that'll solve that issue one way or the other. And then you can move on with your business. Uh, yeah, to put a to kind of put a cap on the why question and the why now question, I, I, I firmly believe that this was something floating around in Dan's head for quite some time. And he was trying to, he was just taking a temperature of when the best opportunity would do it. And this seemed like it. And the payoff is Lucci doesn't, you know, Lucci gets to do nothing and get paid out. He doesn't have to, Lucci doesn't have to suffer the embarrassment of not making the playoffs at this point. I think in some ways, I wonder if Dan and Clark think they're saving Lucci from, uh, you know, they're, they're helping Lucci out by doing it now uh, and putting the onus of making the playoffs on somebody else. And if they don't make the playoffs, they can also then, you know, say, hey, look, we made a coaching change in the middle of the season or, or whatever uh, towards the end of the season. Uh, it, so much of this is just so weird and the timing of it is so unusual for this family. Um, uh, I still don't think we know all of it, but in my mind, the more I think about it, the more I think the more I feel like they were going to fire him anyway. So let's do it now and just kind of save some face. That's, that's just the best way I can explain it. If somebody asked me. Yeah. That's kind of the feel I'm getting, you know, too, is that they must've decided a while ago that this was the course and they were just needed an excuse to do it. You know, I mean, eight games and they were talking about like, Oh, we're seven points out. Man, seven points with eight games with like five teams in front of you to multiple of them with multiple games in hand. Come on. That's ridiculous. It would take a turnaround of epic proportions. You know, one of the greatest turnarounds ever, even just to get in, let alone actually do anything. It's such a disingenuous sales point. Now, I grant you, you can't go in there as owner and say, oh, season's over. Screw it. Right. You know, I mean, the players are going to have to play for their jobs now. So maybe there'll be a coach bounce. There's always a coach bounce. Eight games is not that many. Five of them are at home. So they'll probably make a little run, you know, but 
let's be realistic, right? The season's over as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, just to set the table, Dan, they are in 11th place with 27 points. That puts them uh, seven points behind Minnesota in seventh. But between them and Minnesota is L.A., F.C., Vancouver, and San Jose. And between those four teams, some of them have one game in hand. Two of them have two games in hand. So the course is uh, its a very, very difficult road to make the playoffs at this point. Sorry, Dan, uh, go I ahead. Mean, ab- no, say? absolutely. And, you know, add to that, uh, your first tiebreaker is wins. FC Dallas is three wins behind Minnesota. So it's not just a case of making up seven points on them. It's, you know, you, you've effectively got to make nine points up on them at this point. Um. You know, he, he, it was weird because he said, I think it was John Arnold that asked, why now? And John um, was the third person to ask why now. Well, <laughs> it, well, he was the first person to like actually just straight out use the, use the phrase why now. You know, people were, same with, you know, you haven't given him an adequate team, have you? I mean, I was one of three or four people that, done, that, that rephrased that question in different ways. But John was the one that got probably the closest thing to an answer at the time, which was, well, we're in, not in this, as good a position as we was last week. They're two points worse off than they were last week in a very unrealistic race. The difference is, last week people said the playoffs are about over. This week people said it's over. That's the, I mean, unless Clark came in, saw something he didn't like, and was like, get rid of that guy, it, it, it seems so reacting to absolutely you know nothing i will say that i had somebody from uh media not in the dallas area that i know and and i think has a really good opinion about soccer i'm not gonna say who it was because he was texting me privately he was like this team's lost its fight it's dead after watching the houston game it was like Mm -hmm. they're like he's dead it's over and that was the first time someone has flat out done that and after the game the whole team just went to the locker room, including Lucci, and only Hedges and I think who else was out there? Paxson was maybe still out there, and maybe Munjoma. I heard went and applauded the traveling fans or whatever. So this that may that was the first instance this year where someone that's not around the team all the time saw them and was like, "Oh man, this team's toast M- mentally." You know what I mean in terms of buy-in, in terms of mentality, in terms of fight. So it may be that Zanata and and Dan saw that and thought, okay, that's it, we're done, you know, and said, yeah. okay, it's time. It's it's just so weird to me that on September nineteenth of twenty twenty one, the culmination of everything is just. And again, this is just my opinion. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not. This all just seems so predictable when they hired the guy back in December of 2019. I mean, I just don't know what Dan and Clark thought they were going to do or what results they were going to get with a guy that they hired who had no experience. And uh, and, and I, it just it just seems like this was so the cards were so clear that this ultimately was going to be how this story ended. Now, we talked about it all the time when he got hired that the hiring was way too soon that he'd never coached an adult, they never coached a pro player when i was making my list of coaches today i was trying to run through people i know that are fc dallas family centric related hunts whatever looking for names you guys remember michael della russo yeah yeah michael della russo has gone into coaching he started out as you do he went back to his alma mater and was an assistant at, at uh, maryland and then he jumped to a head coaching job at i think it was arizona 
United, which yeah. I think became Phoenix Rising eventually. Anyway, a small USL team. And then he jumped to uh, an assistant job on the Houston Dynamo staff. And so when they hired Lucio Gonzalez back in 2019, he was Wilmer's top assistant in Houston. Michael De La Russo was. And I was looking at Michael De La Russo's resume as I was putting my list together. And I thought, no way in hell can I put Michael De La Russo on this list of potential candidates. It's just not anywhere near close enough. And then it occurred to me that his resume at the time is substantially better than Lucci's was at the time, other than the fact that Lucci was inside the academy, inside the house, and had a chance to sell himself to the Hunts. And when that just goes to show you that, like, De La Russa was like the 15th name I came up with and that far down in terms of like the unqualified list. And he still was more qualified than Lucci was at the time. Now, before anyone accuses me of trash and Lucci, what we said at the time was true. And what I said then, and I'll say it now, is I think Lucci eventually will be a great coach. He cares a lot about players. He cares about development. He cares about modern tactics. He cares about educating himself. I think with enough experience and time, he will become a good coach. He didn't have any of that time and experience. And therefore, as you say, Peter, it was preordained that this was going to be a poor run. And you combined it, the, his inexperience with roster building that wasn't, that, that wasn't fitting what he wanted to do. And at the beginning of this year, how much did we talk about how they were going in two different directions with their roster building? It was almost like two different people were in charge. We talked about it all winter. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. so why in the world are you surprised that this is where we are? The guy had made mistakes. Now he often learned from his mistakes, but he continued to make mistakes as an inexperienced, never coached adults, never coached a pro player would do. And all of his assistants had never had any experience either, except for Drew Keyshawn, who'd been a goalkeeper coach only and couldn't solve all those problems for them. So it's, it's, it should be surprised no one. We are where we are. I think we sat here on this podcast and we ended up literally predicted we would be here three years later but we came damn close to predicting we would be here three years later. You know, I, I, over the last of the 24 hours uh, that since this happened, I've been thinking a lot of the things back in my mind. And the one incident that really keeps coming back to my head is the incident on the sideline when he subbed out uh, uh, Hara. And Hara kind of blew him off, and Lucci was offended, and there was a slight, I don't want to call it a confrontation, but it was kind of a confrontation between the two of them. And that was that moment where you began to understand that there is a, a component of being a manager about respect. And it was always, it was almost impossible to believe that veteran players like Frank O'Hara and, and Brian Acosta and, you know, list any of the guys they've brought on, Tiago Santos or whatever, were going to figure out a way to respect Lucci in that manner where they were willing to go through a wall for the guy. And it was all almost all because out of all of those guys the, on the entire roster, the only ones that probably viewed Lucci in the correct light as you should a manager were all the kids that had known Lucci since they were young teenagers. And that was the really big component of the Lucci era that I always thought was super problematic outside of the tactical information stuff, the man management component that he clearly was lacking that I think is still a problem to this day for him and will be until he gets an opportunity to go, you know, run a USL team or whatever it is. Yeah, you got to have some scalps under your belt. You know, he's got guys playing for him that have more experience, that have seen more things that are almost as old as he is. You know, there, there is a certain amount of professionalism, of respect the job. And guys on this team were always respectful to the job. They always knew he was the head coach and he always made the decisions. Like, you don't see those guys mouthing off in the press or any of that stuff. 
or causing problems in training. Like even after the problem with Franco Hara, Franco Hara was professional enough and man enough to sit down with Lucci and work it out and continue to train hard and continue to bust his butt trying to be better in practice. You know, I, I couldn't ever look at a guy and say, that guy's really trying to undermine and screw Lucci, at least not in a way that I could see, not being mm-hmm. privy to the complete locker room. But you're right when you have a guy who's a young guy who, and if you've met Lucci or talked to him or seen any of his quotes or sound bites or whatever we've put up, he's very preachy. He is a teacher. He lectures. You know, he gets kind of long-winded and he kind of re- he repeats these talking points like teachers do. That's how you ingrain things into younger people and, and as you're teaching. Well, if you're Frank O'Hara or Andre Zanata or Matt Hedges, you're like, dude, I, I know all this stuff, man. I just need you to manage my workload and get me into the game. You know, it's like, I don't just give me a little tactical assignment. Don't, I don't, I don't need like this long winded rah, rah cheerleadery stuff. You know, th- this Academy stuff, I don't need that stuff. You know, and that's one of the big components of what Lucci would have learned as an, as running the North Texas soccer club, as he was going to be, or mm-hmm. as an assistant yeah. under another coach as he was going to be, you know, I, listen, I, I've had conversations with Lucci about what the future might be for him someday. You know, if he left this job and he knew that he needed certain level kinds of experience, he knew he needed to maybe get on somebody else's staff. He knew he needed more pro exposure. He knew he's not stupid. You know, he just did the best he could in that environment. And again, it comes back to the idea we've all said from the beginning, they did not set him up to succeed here. They did not give him the tools he needed from day one. We talked about how he needed a John Ellinger type on the bench, right? A guy behind him with the experience and the weight helping him out. He didn't have that. You know, so many things they could have given him to help him, and they didn't give him. Yeah. Um, okay, now, Dan, you brought this up earlier, and I do want to get into this because I do th- I find this to be a very interesting component of this story, which is the uh, Andre Zanata influence factor, which is the idea that, you know, Zanato came into this club after Lucci was hired. He's this, South, this guy with all these South American ties, and he walks into this situation and realizes he's now the technical director of a team with a manager with zero experience. And I've always wondered how much chirping he's been doing in Dan's ear about options that he potentially had of managers he could bring in that would be better suited than Lucci. That, that was a bit of uh, an interesting answer from Dan about one of the times he was asked about you know players that have and haven't been brought in. Um, he he got a little bit defensive and said, "Well, Jose Antonio Martinez and and Hader Obreon, those were guys that the two wanted, and we we brought them in." Yeah, I thought like, that was an interesting answer too. That that was a there's a power struggle been happening here. Answer. Yeah, I you know I I didn't see it as much as a a power struggle. I saw it as an answer of just trying to make it you know add some culpability on Lucci's part for signings that they've had like hey don't make don't make this sound like Lucci or the manager of this team hasn't been included in the decision making process which I don't think any of us have ever really thought have we no it's always been Lucci's always had input you know I I remember him telling me that the like the Tiago Santos sale that they did you know tell him that they were going to do it and he you know he didn't have a veto of a person specifically, but he definitely voiced his opinion that it was a bad idea, you know? So now obviously he doesn't have enough control that he could stop it dead, or maybe he didn't feel like that was the moment to go to war, you know, perhaps certainly it cost him a lot of the beginning of the season. You know, that might make for a very different season if that guy's there at the beginning. Yeah. And I thought that it was fascinating that, um, uh, when he was talking about 
Andres and I was talking about coming here. He mentioned that he was on the other side of the uh, the Bresson Bresson Gremio deal, which we knew, and that Muzzi at the time knew he was going to Orlando and told Zanata that he was going to Orlando and then went back home and told Dan and Clark, presumably, that, oh, I, I worked, I just worked across the table from this guy that you guys should look at. And that that early, A, Mootsy knew he was leaving, which is mm-hmm. okay, that's interesting. But also <laughs> that, like, since then, basically, Zanata's been involved in everything that's happened because he came here very shortly after that. So, you know, as much as they would say, oh, well, Lucci asked for this guy, Lucci asked for that guy. Sure, I, I totally believe Lucci asked for those guys. You're still the one as a TD and the owner who did or didn't give him the guys he wanted. I guarantee you he did not want to sell Thiago Santos. You know what I mean? I guarantee you that he was not on board with the Frank O'Hara signing, you know, certainly in hindsight, if not at the time. You know, so he'll never say those two things publicly, but I promise you that that's the case. So, but specifically about this idea of Zanata, you know, getting in Dan's head about making a change, how, how much do you think he had an influence on Dan's decision to do what he did yesterday? I'm going to say a lot because there was a couple of comments early on, uh, and I don't remember the te- exact wording, but Dan said something about not playing enough veterans, playing too many kids. And I thought, well, that's, that's 100% reversal from where that we were three years ago, is it not? And mm-hmm. and how much we talked this last winter about how there seemed to be two different forces pulling this team in terms of the kind of signings they were making, that all of a sudden there was this new direction happening. And we started the year with all these veteran players. Remember, I even drew up that lineup. It's like, here's your no homegrowns lineup, right? People were like, what? Are you crazy? I'm like, dude, look at all the players they're signing, right? So they're, the front office and Zanata certainly were hiring, were bringing in guys with that philosophy in mind, and through their actions indicating that it wasn't play the kids as much. And yet through the failures of the first half of the season, we ended up with a play of the kids too much, particularly apparently on defense since Dan Hunt says that this is the greatest offensive ever and proceeded to mention Pepe, Jesus and Shun and not Paxton. Okay. So uh, to me, it's a, I think there's a disconnect. There's been a disconnect for at least since this whole season, at least this winter through now, there's been a disconnect between Lucci and Zanata. They haven't said this. It's just my belief based on the actions of their signings and now this firing that there's been a disconnect between the, in the direction of the club between the coach and the technical director. Can I, can I give you some numbers? Um, just looking at Andre's past um, past roles as a technical director. Um, so I'm going to forget about Gremio for a second. I'm going to go back a little bit earlier in his career. So, uh, you know, his... His first like big job, assistant technical director or sporting director at Santos. Um, you know they have their coach. He's won Copa Libertadores. He's got to the Club World Cup final. This that and the other. Zanotti's promoted to sporting director. A month later, he fires him. He goes through four more coaches in two years. He then decides that he's had enough of politics and releases a statement that he's he's quitting uh, Santos. A month later, he turns up a, a sport Recife. He goes through three coaches in a year. That's not a lot of stability. Oh, sorry, before he's fired himself. Hmm. Um, that that kind of instability kind of worries me, and that's this is the exact, you know, this is is that situation. 
I think some of that will flesh itself out when we find out who they ultimately end up hiring for a coach, which is uh, on later in the agenda, Dan. It'll certainly be very telling. The flavor of the coach will tell us a great deal. You know, one of the things that has come out of the last 24 hours is a lot of discussion on social media about the reaction to the news. Many people on Buzz's Discord, uh, on social media accounts, have all taken notice of the people, the collection of people who have all decided to like the, uh, the, the announcement on different social media platforms of Lucci's firing from FC Dallas, which includes people like Tanner Tessman, former players, uh, wives of current players. I, I, are we reading, is that just like all silly drama, Dan? Do you think we're reading into that too much or do you think there's something to that? Oh yeah, clicking a like on a post doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, T Ted Cruz can tell us that about Pornhub. Well, wait a second. <laughs> Tanner Tessman's a pretty social media savvy guy. He knows what he's doing when he likes an Instagram or a Twitter uh, post announcing his former coach's firing, right? I mean, I'm sure if you went through all his likes and, you know, you could probably find a bunch of random stuff there, but I mean, you'd have to audit his social media activity to figure that out. Okay. All right. Well, the overall trend of players that have departed are always going to have a slightly sour taste in a coach's of the coach that lets them go or trades them or loans them out. You know, I mean, look at the way Fafa and Michael Barrios both react to this team when they play it. You know, you can look at any of the kids that are deemed surplus and get loaned out. You can look at Tanner, who probably thought he was going to be a surefire starter and then was kind of just in and out and backseated to Brian Acosta. You know, it's, it's not surprising the people that dislike things that are going on. If it's a veteran player, maybe some member of their family is mad because said player's on the bench, you know, or said player's injured all the time. Or, you know, it, you can see how that stuff can trend a certain direction. I I don't put a lot of stock in the idea that people that are that no longer are part of the squad are mad that the coach didn't like them. And that's pretty standard. I think the one thing, I mean, I guess the first one that people picked up on was Cobra. Cobra likes everything FC Dallas puts out. So I wouldn't really put too much stock in that one for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely people would have an axe to grind as a certain team captain's wife who liked to post about a guy who stripped him of the captaincy. Cobra is a, a perfect example. Cobra asked to leave. There's no way that he hates Lucci. Uh, Lucci loves that guy, right? Mm -hmm. He's not gone because of Lucci. He's and gone Lucci because he said very recently he'd have him back in a second. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not anything to think about. Let's move on to the current state of things and what's going to happen over the course of the next eight games. The man that in my head, see, I have this perception that Marco Ferruzzi has been interim manager of this team like 17 times. <laughs> it turns out yeah. it's, this is only a second go at it, but he's been here so long and he's been a part of so many different coaching regimes. Uh, it seems like every time somebody gets fired, he's the guy they turn to. Um, but here he is. And I gotta, I am so confused by this decision. And, and Marco, I don't know if he's just a uh, his own worst punching bag or what, but he has. I feel like he has set himself up for a make the playoffs or get fired situation, ba kind of based on what Dan said in the press conference. Like he's he's working this job for his future. I think is kind of how he worded it in the press conference, and that just seems ridiculous to me. 
Uh, the one reason you think uh, Marco's been interim manager more is because I think when Shellis left at the end of the season, Marco basically like ran training and stuff. So like Marco was and did like off season business movie type stuff before they hired Oscar. So there was like a little window where he was basically running things, but not coaching also, games. He was also uh, running some of the transfer stuff before Lucci came in. Yeah, in that regard. Okay. So uh, my read on Marco and the eight games thing is, is that basically the odds that you can make it in are so slim. If you can miracle this team in, why not give you the job? And if you don't, a, you're still a candidate, and B, if you don't, if we don't give you the head coaching job, you can just keep doing what you're doing if you want to stay. You know, they you know they they said flat out they're retaining him to keep his current job, which is director of soccer operations. So. You know, I, I don't think there's any fired heat here. It's just a here's your chance to lottery win the job if you can crush this. If not, you know, we'll we'll put you on the list and we'll keep you in mind. See how it goes. What changes do you think he makes? Oh wow. Um, well, based on what Dan Hunt said, it sure sounds like some more veteran players are going to play. Well, maybe less kids. You know, obviously they'll have to do the the, the biggest thing according to the the owner is the current defense he emphasized about 10 different times that marcos is great defensive coach and they had to they needed to do something to fix the problem on the field fix the problem that's in front of us so there's going to be some sort of adjustment to try and fix the defensive end of the 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 field you know if that adjustment happens to be that mar gets healthy great for marco Maybe it maybe it's time to try try Zobek. Maybe it's time to sit down some of the kids that are playing defense. Maybe it's time to go with a more stable defensive first outside backs and not attacking outside backs. There's a couple of things you can try. Maybe you can change formations to a more you know legitimately straight up defensive formation, five at the back maybe. Maybe you can go a double holding mids look and just leave the front four on an island by themselves. Possibly, we'll see. Could I ask you a question as two people who were around last time Marco was in charge? Um, I looked up the game plans, at least, and the lineups from his four-ish games when uh, when he took over between Morrow and Shellis. Did he do anything different, really? My memory says that it was kind of a status quo with what yeah, was happening. Because there was not that... Mar- Morrow's team... Like, when Morrow... Steve Morrow took over. His mantra was, you guys have relied on some players that I think you shouldn't have trusted. I'm going to get those guys out of here. So he cleared out a lot of guys in that first year and was just starting his building process. So they hadn't really brought in a whole bunch of new pieces yet. So his roster was really thin. It was very top-heavy with people that could actually play in MLS. So there weren't a whole lot of things to really go to and try. It's like Marco was basically just, you know, counting off games while they were before they were going to bring in whatever they were going to bring in because it also was uh you know sticking with a 4-4-2 or going to a 3-5-2 which uh, i think morrow had used as well and you know uh, definitely seemed a little you know at least from the result seemed maybe a little bit more defensively sound losing 2-1 instead of 5-1 but it, it just uh it, it didn't seem like the uh, the sexy, let's get this amazing counter-attacking style, let's just go ahead and destroy the league and get into the playoffs and take it at the last minute, as if, like Dan seemed to try and portray it as. 
Yeah, I don't have any recollection of the team being any better or, for that matter, worse when he's taken over and been involved. In fact, he's such a, uh, you know... I don't. I'm not involved with the team as close up as as you guys are. Meaning going to practice and stuff. But Marco Ferruzzi to me is largely a ghost. Like for a large, there's a large part of me that has a hard time even identifying him many times. And I also think that's a large part of the reason we're in this position. Not we. They're in the position they are today because he clearly was the more qualified person for the job over Lucci. But I feel, and I think. Buzz, you'll back me up on this. Lucci did a better sales job in getting the gig because Marco's just kind of a quiet, not a very good self-promoter um, and thought his, he would get it on based on merit, and and that's not how the decision was made. Yeah, 100%. Lucci is a great salesman, a great speech giver, very charismatic. Uh, Marco's a terrific guy, really nice and friendly, but not not vivacious and vibrant and over the top. He's very much like a focus kind of go about your business. When Marco was first uh, on Colin's staff, uh, he was the low man on totem pole at the time as an assistant. Steve Morrow was, you know, after Morrow retired, Morrow was um, Colin Clark's primary assistant and mostly the defensive guy. And then under Shellis, when Morrow was and Clark were both gone by that point, Marco became like the defensive coordinator, if you will. And th- that part is true, what Dan has said. Marco under Shellis and under Oscar was primarily the defensive guy. That was his primary area of responsibility. So if you wanted to go from an offensive team to a defensive team and you want to try and write the defense of the people on your staff, because Peter Lucene is the current defensive guy, and that obviously is not a big mark in his favor in terms of solving the defense, Marco's the guy. I don't think there's any question that like of your people, that makes the most sense. And it's worth saying, it's pointing out that, you know, under Oscar, Marco was the guy that ran training. You know, he knows every, he knows all the players that have been there longer than three, longer than two years, their game inside and out, because he's been the guy that's been putting the plan together for them day in, day out. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's just how that translates to in the game. All right, so the the news that Lucci's gone, and then Mikey Varas is also gone, but the fact that Lucene and Drew Keyshawn remain, I do wonder if that's not a clue that leads us into the final part of this conversation, which is who is next. I do wonder if, Buzz, youth have any sense that keeping Keyshawn and Lucene around is an indicator that of the three different categories, and by the way, the three categories are the in-house list, the outhouse list, which is oddly named on my part, my apologies, and the Zanata list, is the Lucene and Keyshawn component an indication that maybe and likely it'll be somebody from the in-house list? Well, um, first, it's important to understand that Keyshawn and Lucene are what you would call organizational hires, and Mikey Veras was Lucci's buddy and yes man and Lucci's hire. There's, there's, uh, Keyshawn has been a goalkeeper coach here for a long, long time and is one of the most respected goalkeeper coaches in the league. And Lucene has been a guy who was working on being a coach even when he was a player and has developed under three or four coaches now working on his progression in that regard. So those guys were given assistant jobs probably even before Lucci was hired. He was probably Lucci was probably told when he was hired that these guys are going to be here and be on your staff. Now, Lucci changed Keyshawn's job a little bit and made him more of a complete game uh, a coach and overseer because he valued his experience. Varus was 100%. Lucci's like, this is my dude. I want him. And they brought him in. So firing 
uh, Varus goes hand in hand with Lucci. That's not so. It's not particularly an indicator of which direction they're going to go. It is, however, an indicator that if you're going to be the coach here, more than likely there's going to be some assistance that they're going to give you and that they're going to tell you, and that because they have this this huge belief in their system, and that includes this pathway from the academy to North Texas to the first team. That system is still here. You have to deal with that system. Lucine came through that system. Keyshawn's been here forever. Keyshawn's been coaching guys that are up and coming keepers in the system. That you have to deal with the system as it is. Zanata said it like eight times. You have to convince us that you can buy into our way if you're going to coach here. Now, it could be the inside guy, it could be the outside guy. That's the way we lean because of all that talk and because of the hunt's behavior. But you never know. I directly asked Zanata if it could be a foreign guy, and he said, absolutely, it could be. So I think in the end, it more than likely will be situation normal. Still going to hire one of our guys from inside of our club or from our family, but I don't think it's for sure one of those three dudes necessarily. Hmm. All right. um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, we're kind of talking about uh, Dan answering the same few questions just in in different ways um when i asked him uh, i'd asked him about when he talked of people with champions league experience um at the north texas sc launch you know if if maybe in hindsight that was a little bit more important than someone being more ingrained in the club and you know he, he kind of doubled down on that said you know we had champions league ex- managers with champions league experience with premier league experience with la liga experience but it's so different and you know it's do we go for the experienced guy or the rising star so yeah it's you know it's it's almost like he's not looking for the happy medium the oscar Pereira. it's we either want the uh nate the great the wonder kid or (laughs) we want uh someone older than time here's one thing to consider peter as we go forward if you're if you're always going to take from in-house, right, the in-house guys move up and get the job and get fired. Another in-house guy moves up, gets the job, has it for a while, gets fired. Or an in-house guy like Oscar leaves and takes two or three in-house coaches with them. Eventually, that in-house cup of talent starts to run dry. That's definitely true of the academy right now. So many guys have moved up and out of the academy that the people who are left are just kind of what's left. And maybe it's disingenuous and, and not so nice to say that of people like Lucene or Keyshawn or Marco. Is These are the guys that are left. There comes a point where you have to freshen that up or it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. That's how we got a academy coach with no experience at all in charge of this team. Right? So the options that are still left other than Marco have very little experience at all. And even Marco has very little head coaching experience. So there comes a point at which you have to freshen it up, even if it's, just still your guys, but your guys from somewhere else, like when they went and got Oscar. Mm-hmm. So I, I I feel like right this minute, they might be leaning towards, because remember they in the press conferences, Zanata was clear about, and Dan Hunt said it too, that maybe there's a little bit more of a balance of not just the academy way, but also a proven winning at this level or equivalent to this level. There's nobody really left that has that part in the organization. Yeah. So that that... Before this press conference, I would have said, oh, yeah, one of those three or four guys. But now I'm actually leaning towards my what you call the outhouse list. Great name for it. Uh, I think the outhouse list now comes into play more. And I think some names on there are very interesting when you include that line about 
winning at this level into the the idea of also buying into the FCD way. All right. Before we get into the three separate lists, let's also establish this question, which is what type of person would want to take this job? It's not the lowest paying job. It's certainly not the highest paying job, right? So we know the odds of them getting, well, let's just let's just split the difference and say it's a mid-tier paying gig. But you're also in a situation where uh, you know what you're getting into in terms of ownership. You're not gonna get a big signing um, and you're also having to deal with a technical director that is very South American oriented. So those are all components that we all have to at least find some common ground on of, of asking the question of what type of person would want this job. Yeah, an owner down the hall too, that's gonna come talk to you every day, you know, intimately involved. You know, you got to have the ability to bring the academy in. You got to have to progress players. You're going to have to sell players and deal with that being sold mid-season. You know, yeah. that, that's, that all makes this job. Some parts of the academy make, like the academy that gives you the ability to fill in your roster and the middle range and give you some talent that other teams don't have. Uh, that's a nice thing. You know, there is an ownership stability in the sense that they are definitely invested. It's not going to be the big expensive players, like you say, but there is facilities and there is program and there is relationships with our clubs. There is ability to improve yourself. So there's a good and a bad here. But so the idea would be go ahead. But but and but to lean into that, though, Buzz, you're also a club that is now famous for selling your best players off yeah. in the middle of a season. You're also a club that has to deal with miserable weather for the vast majority of your season. Yeah. Um, you know, all of these other things that I just think really make this uh, an opportunity that I, if I was a super successful, if I was a coach with a winning track record, Dallas is not a destination spot for me. It yeah. feels like a stepping stone gig. It could be, it could be, or people that a hundred percent buy into the hunt way and are friends and get it, you know, and like, and like Dallas and like this city and like being here. There's a reason why Dallas and the hunts always come back to people that have been in their system. There's a reason why they always come back to people that believe in the same things they believe in. You know, like if you're a believer in the Academy and progressing, like think about how Oscar always preaches young Americans and how talented he thinks they are and all that kind of stuff. Right. So if, if you're a buy in kind of guy to what the hunches are preaching, then maybe this job is appealing, but you're not going to get a Bruce arena. Uh, he has a job. You're not going to get that style of guy. You're not going to get a superstar coach. You're probably not going to get a foreign guy unless he totally buys into what Andre is selling and thinks that Andre is a great TD and thinks that that's my guy because he won't know anything about the hunts, right? A foreign guy won't. So that's why right now I'm leaning hard to the out list of dudes that played here and get it dudes that believe in progression in the academy, guys that believe in developing my own thing, guys that aren't used to uh, getting like a big name superstar help and think that they can take this roster as it is now. And believe me, you hear from people, I do hear from people that think this roster is okay. I can bring in what I do and I can for sure make this roster better and yeah. get and do enough that it can get into the playoffs as it is. And then, so if I can get the owner and the TD to give me a couple more pieces, and Dan talked about there being a short a couple pieces, then I think I can really do something. So that's that's the guy that's going to appeal to is a dude that sees the opportunity to maybe make some bones and maybe believes in this methodology and wants to prove that he can do something. You're not going to get someone who's interested in the same people that are interested in Atlanta United. You're not going to get the same coaches, right? Totally well, different pool. You're also going to have to remember that we may not even be in this position if Tab Ramos had been willing to work for low pay. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you right? might, that would have been that the interesting thing there. And hindsight's you know you can't go back in time, but it would have been fascinating to see if he would have been willing to at least discuss it if they would have gone outside their group because Tab would oh, have I had think Tab that. Ramos was infinite. I think I've heard multiple stories that he was very interested in the gig until yeah. they found out it paid crap. No, I mean, I mean Dan, I mean the Hunts. Oh. Like, would, would they have? S- Talk to him and thought, you know what? The youth national team coaches is enough youth development that he could be our guy. You know what I mean? And go that route. You know, I mean, that, that would have been what's what it would have been interesting if Todd hadn't pulled out. That would have been a fun dynamic to explore. And maybe that's a dynamic that can be explored this time. Maybe we're going to find out whether they're willing to go outside and try some of these guys that have a youth development background and a winning background, but aren't their guy. It'll be fun to watch from that level. Yeah. Okay, let's get into the list. We'll start off with category number one, which is the in-house list. And obviously at the top of that, just because he's the interim manager, is Marco Ferruzzi. Yeah, Marco has vastly more experience than any of the other in-house options. You know, he's been on the staff as a primary assistant or a secondary assistant since 2000, end of 2004, early 2005. He's been interim coach. He's coached the reserve team, which is what Quillen to North Texas is now. He's coached in the academy. He's been a scout. He's been in charge of the NCA and domestic scouting for years now with his club. He knows every bone and body and, and fallacy of this club. If you want a guy that believes in the system and knows the system and knows the hunts, that's the guy. The only downside is the lack of the type A over-the-top salesman, rah-rah, gung-ho, personality that the hunts often gravitate towards yeah he's kind of quiet and milk toast but i would also say that's how you describe brian smetzer yeah I, I think there's nothing wrong with that kind of coach this just it's for me that's perfectly fine it's just the hunts seem to gravitate towards shellis and oscar and lucci even colin clark and steve morrow were all guys that talked a good game and sold a good game and they had loud big personalities that filled a room you know, and and uh, and uh, Marco doesn't. So, Dan, do you got any insights on Marco you'd like to throw in? I think I think Buzz just put it perfectly. I mean, Marco is is definitely the uh, the most uh, understated person. Even from being at the airport when uh, when Cobra first arrived, talking like, where, where did you find this guy? He's like, eh, you know, MLS just put pointing us in the direction. Oh, so what do you think of his game? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh, any anything we should look out for? Yeah, it's pretty, just all around pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's, you're never going to get like uh, the 15-minute Lucci answers or the, uh, you know, the, the great PowerPoint presentations that they talked about. I forgot Marco is responsible for Cobra, so points off for that. Okay, next well, on the list. MLS folds. Okay. Uh, next on the list is the coach at North Texas SC, Eric Quill. Yeah, for me, Eric is the guy that's most huntish in terms of demeanor. Uh, he's he is very demanding of his players, very specific, very meticulous. I think Eric's a terrific coach. I think he better fits the hunt style and the kind of guy that they would want. I do think he's a, still a touch inexperienced. This the the current North Texas job is his first pro job. Uh, he's only been an academy director and a college assistant prior to this. He has played at a really high level and he has a really high coaching uh, education. So tons of qualifications, just not 
if you want to follow up on the proven winner at this level, he falls short. He was obviously won a championship with North Texas, however, and was coach of the year with North Texas and gets the FCD system and all that stuff. So he has 90% of what makes him a good candidate from what the Hoaches hunts say. And he's definitely bought into, um, you know, the, the demands, oh, sorry, not demands, constraints put on him by the hunts. Cause you know, you talk to him in the off season, he's like, yep, I've got to go and find 10 players. And, you know, when he says he has to go off and find them, he has to scout them, he has to sign them. Uh, someone, you know, selling a player out from under him, it may wear thin pretty quick, but at least to, to begin with, he's going to be, okay, I'll, I'll make do with what I've got. Next on the list is Peter Lucene. Yeah, Peter's been grooming himself and being groomed through the organization to be a coach. Uh He's well on the path of progress. I, I will say right now it's too early for him. I think he's a legit candidate in the sense that his playing career puts gives him a leg up over a lot of people in terms of like, could you go with him now? I think you could. But I, I think he's not there in terms of the resume building. I think he needs another stage, whether it's like he's the North next North Texas guy or maybe he gets another run under another sort of coach to get a little bit more before he's ready to be the head guy. Um a viable candidate, but for me, just a click short still of being ready. Is he spending any time managing any of the academy teams? Not anymore. No. He was, though. He was when he was up until uh, Lucci took over. He was okay. doing that, and then he was helping out first team practice as like the fourth or fifth guy under Oscar. Um, but once, once he became a, an assistant on uh, Lucci's staff, he stopped being an academy coach. And he was the coach of the uh, magnificent O5s, right? Yeah, well, not for a long time now. Yeah, but that but, was his team originally. Yeah, and uh, All right. you know, it's, it's worth saying with him as well. You know, you've got, you know, one of the reasons obviously he's kept around. You know, the guys talked up as a great coaching prospect, same as Drew Keyshawn's talked up as one of the top goalkeeping coaches there is. That guys that you want to keep around, even if they're not going to be the next hire next on the list very confusing just to make sure everybody understands there's a difference mikey vara is the guy that lost his job and was lucci's friend jesus chewy vera is the assistant coach and director of scouting who remains and he's also on your in-house list buzz yeah this is a guy who has experience coaching as a professional coach for multiple years He's won some coaching awards. Now, all of his coaching was down in Venezuela, and he won some cups and some trophies and such. Uh, he has not, however, been a head coach since 2013, so I don't know why he hasn't since then. But since 2017, he's been the director of scouting for FC Dallas, uh, he's, and he's worked and coached in the academy. And lately, he's been his job has kind of been the progressor of players from the academy to the first team and from north texas to the first team he does a lot of extra work with guys after training he works on their skill development and that kinds of thing so he's a guy with intimate understanding of the fc dallas progression system since 2017 the current leadership with zanata he's been working with him and with marco so there's an understanding of all that there is a high level of head coaching experience and some title winning experience bilingual respected by players for their for their his assistance and making them better players so there's a lot to like uh here with with him in terms of a fit again i worry about the why is he not coached since 2013 
And I worry about the fact that nobody knows who he is really outside of this organization. I'm not sure if that matters, but it is interesting. So the guy's connections are amazing. Like uh, if you look back through his social media, you know, in that time he wasn't in head coaching roles. He would just like turn up at Barcelona practice and then do a week at some random Serie A team. Um, yeah, I, I I can't get my head around why he hasn't coached professionally that much since then. But uh, you know, as far as contacts and having people to run ideas off of and, and everything like that. Uh, and, and a rapport with the players. The players will absolutely love him, especially the young guys who he has worked in with those uh, development plans on. They all speak very highly of him. All right, so that does it for the list of in-house candidates, unless you've got anybody else you want to include, Buzz or Dan. Oh, no, that's in-house. That's all I have on my list. In-house. Yeah. All right, this would be now in your article. It's called not in-house. I'm calling it the out-of-house <laughs> candidates or yeah. out-house candidates. Yeah. And topping that list is a man on the Mount Rushmore of Dallas soccer, none other than Jason Kreiss. Yeah, Jason Kreiss, the GOAT of the franchise. As much as we love Matt Hedges, there's no question that Jason Kreiss is the best player in this club's history. Uh, he was one of the youngest MLS coaches ever when he was first hired by RSL. He won a cup pretty quickly and was the youngest coach to ever win an MLS cup. He took them to a second cup. He took them to the Champions League final. Now, he, didn't, he then went to New York City FC, which, in my opinion, was always set up for a disaster because of the way they were going to do business. That was his Breck Shea moment. That was his Breck Shea moment. And then he went to Orlando City, <laughs> and he had the Orlando City kicking, clicking along mid-table about 500, and they fired him, and they didn't win another game the whole year, if I remember correctly. Now, the U23 thing did not go very well, but he is does have 400 games at a pro experience, so he does fit this one at this level characteristic. I think the guy's a good coach. However, I think the U23 thing and a couple other circumstances show that maybe he's not uh, the best at like the dual role, that he needs a good TD because his best stuff in RSL was with Lagerway, with Garth Lagerway, which everyone knows about that guy, right? He's now at Seattle. He makes everybody better. Right, he does. So if you want a good coach who can who can work with a TD, implement a system, and run a good team, I think Jason Christ could be that guy. I don't want him to be both jobs. So if you if, if Zanata were to like him and buy in with him and vice versa, then I think he's a good teammate coach in that respect. The downside is he was badly, badly burnt here by the hunts at the end. They've started to repair that relationship. Is it enough? I don't know. There is a certain section of the fan base that'll because there always is that'll be mad or whatever, which is dumb because the guy's a proven winner as well as a couple times that have not gone well. So uh, I think he'd be good, but we'll see. Well, I think if anybody was upset that Christ got the gig, it's based off his performance as a coach in New York, Orlando, and the U23s, not because of what happened between him and the Hunts when they got rid of him, right? Dumped him, right? right? Right. Oh, okay. All right. And I think I think Orlando's revisionist. If you look at that roster and look at how bad they got after they fired him, he was coaching that team up way above the level of the performance that happened after they got rid of him. Uh, my my concerns with Jason as a coach have nothing to do with New York or Orlando, and everything to do with how he managed the roster for the U twenty threes and how he managed that team in that tournament. You know, New York and, and Orlando were ostensibly both expansion teams at that point, and, and that's just an impossible situation. I mean, and so the U23s were the were 
where he the players he chose for the, those games and the players he utilized that he did choose and didn't you know all of that i that's that's where i'm a little more concerned yeah but that would well be it. that comes back to the idea of having a good td so if you buy in that zanata is a good td then i think that's a good hire yeah that's to be determined right well yeah sense. sure <laughs> next on the list is another dallas burn great jorge zarco rodriguez and to be honest i just learned that his first name was jorge <laughs> <laughs> I've always called him Zarco. Yeah. Uh, man, uh, and this picture you have of him, I don't recognize him because he looks like somebody's dad in this picture. That's not yeah. what he looked like when he played. Yeah, well, no, he looks like a dad now for sure. Yeah, 20-year pro career, 71 cast for El Salvador, pro manager since 2013. He's won five titles uh, in Aperturas and Clausuras. You know, I, I don't think he's bilingual maybe he knows english his entire coaching career is at el salvador and guatemala so a little bit light on the mls and the domestic player but probably used to situations where he doesn't have any money probably used to developing players and bringing them through certainly remembers playing here knows the hunts probably a little bit at the end of his career definitely knows dallas in this organization probably he's probably still on good terms with oscar i would imagine which is another way that it can be beneficial to you coming into this league so uh, lots to like there. If he would be interested in this job, I, he was absolutely a guy that I would think I'd be more than happy to have coaching this franchise. Uh, Dandy, were you living here yet by the time Zarco had left the team? I was not. Mm, I'm sorry you missed his excellence. He was a, he's an yeah. outstanding player and a great guy. Phenomenal, well-rounded player, played all over the field, knows all aspects of the game, You know, I mean, ideal coaching candidate. And scored the amazing goal at the end of the uh, Chicago game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of the best moments in club history. Yeah, that's a good goal. Now, now, the name on this list that got my pants to go crazy, and we talked about at great length in the last episode of this podcast, is Lionel Alvarez. And and here's the thing. I just have to be very honest. I'm super excited about this, but I have absolutely zero clue if Lionel Alvarez is worth a crap as a manager, either currently in his history as a manager or if he's a good fit for FC Dallas. I just love the idea. Yeah, I don't I don't know much about the kind of coach he is. Obviously, I remember the kind of player he was and he would run extra trainings for the guys. Very demanding. He's also talked more about modern methods, too. He's been a coach since 2009, basically, even coached the Colombian national team. He won a couple titles with Independiente. Oh, my God. I can't say it. Independent Medellin. <laughs> I would just butchered the crap out of that. Um, his his What he brought to this organization literally lasted for 20 years because he was an influence on the players that lasted here, Jason, Oscar, and those guys and their influence carried through for 20 years here. So even now, FC Dallas feels his influence. Now, again, he's had... No stint longer than like a year or two. Nine different teams since 2009. That's a lot of a movement. He probably wears it out really quickly. Yeah. He would need a whole lot of help with the MLS <laughs> rules and the system. I probably doesn't know a lot about Academy. I seriously doubt that he's bilingual. I mean, he did a stint on Survivor in his home country and won the thing, if you remember that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, uh, now if you want a personality and a dominant personality and a guy that will come in and change everything, likely – that's your guy if you're looking to really shake things up. I'm with you, though. I have no idea if it actually would be any good. 
Yeah, he looks like a guy that would use lit cigarettes on your uh, the bottom of your feet when you made a mistake in practice. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, but if, you, if you're if you at all excited about the premise of uh, Lionel Alvarez becoming a coach of this team, do not, do not go look up his uh, coaching managerial record on Transfer Market. It will quickly douse your enthusiasm all the way around. Well, he did win two titles at Medellin, so he can win. It's just got to be the right circumstance. Yeah, he's – he. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. The other name on your list and one I hadn't thought about in a million years, but is one I'm not super excited about, just based on the fact that I don't think he has a ton of experience, although he's a great guy, is Pablo Reschetti. Yeah, he, um, he's he been an assistant in Argentina for about five years. You have to have a pro license or an A license to do that. I don't know which one he has. And he was a head coach of a club in 2019 that I think he made a really deep run in Copa Libertadores with. Um, I, I really like what he would bring to the table in terms of his mentality. Uh, like yeah, when I, when he was here, I had conversations with him about not a lot, but about, um, you know, the youth development. He always looked out for those younger guys and would talk about how they were plenty good enough to be playing. He's also a sort of disciplinarian in the sense of like demanding kind of guy. Uh, he, he definitely, he, when he left under bad terms, but when Oscar was coach, he patched it up with Oscar and Dan Hunt, and he actually did some work for the FC Dallas Academy. He's done some scouting for U.S. soccer. He is definitely bilingual. Um, so there's a you know if you want a guy who's had a little bit of a proven, not a huge record of, of as a head coach, but knows this organization and knows MLS a little bit and has a proven, small proven resume, and you might be able to get him at a relatively good price and a guy that would be looking for an opportunity and could maybe be a good fit. I think there's a lot to like there with Rashetti. He's not going to be the big name you know, come in and upheaval everything, but he's definitely going to have for sure have his own ideas about what's going wrong and what he can fix. And he's a big believer in um, getting guys coached up and, and playing above themselves. The name on the next on the list that I hadn't even thought about that kind of caught me off guard was uh, Josemar Bazan, Oscar's assistant down in Orlando city. Yeah. He still has family in Dallas. He's got a U.S. SFAA license. So plenty of resume there, a player for a decade, uh, knows this club. He was an assistant here under Oscar. And before that, he was in the academy under Oscar. Uh, he used to coach Andromeda when they were one of the great uh, youth clubs in the United States here. He's been an assistant coach and a, and a the senior national team coach for Venezuela. Um, and the best part about it, if you bring him in, is A, he knows the team and he knows what worked up with Oscar. But his he would brother. also bring his brother with him, yeah. Fabian Bazan, more than likely, who is the one of the best, if not the best, strength and conditioning coach this club's ever had. Um, and that would help with a lot of these injury problems. So, um, you know, again, if you want experience at the MLS level and experience with the FCD way, I mean, what's not to like about that guy other than the fact that he's not particularly famous to an American audience? Um, I don't know how much they care about that. But if you know this cl- club and you know Oscar and know his guys, I mean, Bazan is one of the top tier guys under Oscar and a big, big part of his success. The next name on the list uh, makes me laugh because the picture you found of him makes him look like <laughs> Bjork's older brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which would be awesome as a coach for FC Dallas is yeah. Simo Valakari, who uh, was a great here for his short stint in Dallas. Yeah, a guy who uh, Oscar called him the biggest bastard on the field he'd ever met, but off the field is one of the nicest guys you'll ever know. He's been a manager for over a decade now in Finland, he's coached a lot of good teams and done really well over there in that particular country, which is where he's from. So the chances that he would want to come here are small. But if you're looking for a guy who knew the hunts 
and knew what FC Dallas was about and a guy that knew what this league was about. He played in England. He played in Major League Soccer. You know, he's been around a little bit. Just a guy that I, I personally really, really respect his soccer brain and, and the kind of person he is and the kind of manager I think he would be. Um, not again, not a famous name, but unless you're a fan of this club, but a guy I think could be a, a great coach here if he would want to come back. Uh, I don't think it's likely that he would want to, but um, a, a guy that would be a good candidate. Yeah, the reason why I'm, I'm I'm glad you said this because unlike the Lionel Alvarez addition to this list, which oddly, maybe coincidentally, maybe not coincidentally, also timed out with an article being printed last week in Aldea, some Hispanic yeah. or uh, uh, Hispanic publication that he was expressing an interest in getting into coaching in the United States, specifically FC Dallas. I wondered why you added Simo. Was this just somebody you came up with, or had you seen him talk about or get heard something along the way that maybe they were interested in talking to him? No, he's just a guy who uh, I knew was going to be a coach, and I've always respected his understanding of the game and how everything around the game works and his ability to get along with pretty everybody at the time. And then I've paid attention to his track record as a coach since he left, and he's been um, quite successful and moved around a couple of times and been involved with some youth stuff too. So, you know, has the resume that you're looking for and a connection to the hunts that you might be looking for. So just a guy that was in the hunt circle, if you will, that sort of fit the description of what I think they're looking for. And the last name on the outhouse list is a guy I spent more time uh, seeing in Sunday leagues around Dallas than I actually saw him in an FC Dallas jersey is Dave Vandenberg, who now is at New England. I had no idea he was an assistant coach in New England. Yeah, this was kind of a flyer. I kind of looked up like, you know, people will do. They're going to say, oh, who's the best team? I'm going to go get one of their assistants. Well, lo and behold, here's Bruce Arena, highly regarded, right, in America, coaching up the revolution, clearly knows what he's doing. People always hire his assistants. They're usually pretty successful. So I went and looked, and there's Dave Annenberg. I was like, oh, that dude played here. And he has a pro license, and he came out of IX, so he totally would get this whole we're the IX of America garbage, right? You know, he's, he's coached the U.S.-15s and the U.19s, so he has that kind of vibe going on. Definitely is now getting experience under the best American manager, quote-unquote, we've ever had, right? The only problem is that he kind of trashed Shellis on the way out the door. So I'm not sure where he is in terms of like the affinity for the hunts or vice versa. And he has never been a, a pro head coach. But, um, you know, if you're looking for that assistant ready for a head job, he just sort of fit the bill in terms of the, the pieces you would need to get on my list and be like a viable candidate. Okay. Now, that completes the outhouse list. The next is the one that I think is most interesting, and I'm going to turn to Dan because I know Dan's been doing a lot of research on Andre Zanata, background on him. And uh, so, Dan, I'm going to let you run here with this. It is called the Andre Zanata list. And, and, and per earlier in the conversation, this idea that maybe Lucci's firing has been a byproduct of Dan, um, uh, of Dan hearing it in his ear from Zanata, hey, I got a guy. I got another guy. And here are a couple of names on Buzz's list. Uh, and I'll, uh, Dan, I'll let you go with Oswaldo de Oliveira. Oh, put me on the spot now. Uh, yeah, uh, that's actually that's the name that, um, that I, the one name I'd suggested purely on the fact that Andres and has turned to him twice, uh, once at Santos and and at Sport Recife. Um, you know, his resume is fantastic. Uh, you know what he's been to the uh, Club World Cup final. He's he's won J League titles. He's won a couple of Brazilian league titles. 
his real big issue is going to be not knowing MLS, its rules, and the, the FC Dallas way and all that fun stuff, and the fact that he's 70. Um, he was managing as recently as 2019 with uh, Crud, I can't think who it was now, uh, Flamenco maybe, uh, or Fluminense. Fluminense. Okay. Uh, and then say, I can't speak Portuguese, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he really stuck out. Just the fact that, okay, the two times he was with uh, Andre, he lasted six months and a year. Uh, well, you know, we talked about Andre's numbers. Six months and a year is, is pretty encouraging when you went through five managers in two years at one club and three in, in a single year at the other. Um, and and yeah, just just the fact that he came up uh, came up twice seemed a little bit uh, magical. Uh, the the real one, yes, Peter. No, go ahead. Okay, um, there there were two that actually aren't on the list that I think could uh, be your ideal candidates. Is uh, Mur- again, I'm going to struggle to say this. Mercy Ramalo, who uh, Andres and I actually inherited and then fired immediately. Um, a guy that had won Copa Libertadores, had won seven state titles, four uh, Brazilian Serie A titles. He'd won the uh, precursor to the Copa Sudamericana, and then after that, the equivalent of the... Uh, sorry, after the Libertadores, had won like the, the equivalent of the Super Cup. Uh, absolutely, uh, you know... The, the kind of guy that's forgotten more about the game than most people have ever known. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a couple of years after leaving Santos, had to retire for health reasons and is now uh, working at Sao Paulo in a, in a front office capacity. Uh, the other one being uh, Renato Portalupi, who was uh, Andre's coach at Grêmio. So, uh, again, you know, in their successful period of winning uh, Libertadores and getting to the uh, the the semi final the next year, uh, but he unfortunately just recently took a new job, so uh, and would probably be quite an expensive hire. Yeah, he he joined Flamengo, uh, which is a club he actually was trying to get to for a long time because he played there four different times. So, uh, but that dude's he got 150 games under his belt and is coached everyone you can imagine under the sun down there in Brazil. So um, he's a serious high end top tier candidate. He would probably cost a lot of money to get him out of his contract because he's there through the end of 2021 with a, with a possible rollover. But um, he is the one that won Copa Libertadores with Zanata at Gremio. So like, if you're looking for that big time South American gun, that's the guy. I'm sorry, I was throwing off the, um, you had Renata, uh, Renata Gaucho and I'd had him down as uh Porto Lupi, those Brazilians and their million names. He's got 18 names, yeah. Renato yeah. Gaucho is what he's more commonly known as, uh, but that's the guy. Okay, so here we are. We've gone through the list. We've seen all the names. We've been talking about this now for almost two hours, guys. I don't feel like we've gotten anywhere close to having any real idea where this thing's going to land. So to to kind of like just put a bow on this, I'm going to ask you, Dan, do you what is your prediction of who will be the next full-time coach at FC Dallas? Ooh. Ooh, difficult one. Don't act um, like I wasn't going to ask you this okay, question. I've actually got a guy that I 
It isn't on the list that I'm going to go with, and it's uh, Andre <gasps> Lopez. Who? It's uh, he was an assistant that worked under. Uh, was it? I think he was. He was from Palmera, so the club that Andre Zanotto's brother is uh, vice president of. He's been uh, an assistant with the Brazilian national team. He was a he was an assistant at Gremio before. Um, before Zanotto went there, he was an assistant with Palmeiras. He got the interim job um, and then took a back seat to work under uh, Vandalay Luxemburgo, which, I mean, every coach in the world is going to take a, a back seat behind him and then took the job again uh, briefly after he left. Now, I think he's still a current assistant manager, Obviously, looking to break into the pro game and and has a, a nice little, not necessarily a an I've won at this level, but kind of as good as you're gonna get for probably on the on the cheaper end of coaches that that aren't at that level where they're gonna command a huge fee. All right, I'm gonna save buds for last because that's the one anybody really cares about that listens to this Come podcast. Come on now, but I am gonna I'm gonna say it right up front. I am 99% sure this is gonna go exactly the way it always goes. You're gonna end up with one of two candidates, and this will largely be based on his performance as manager in these next eight games. I think this is Marco Ferrucci's job to lose. I don't even know if he has to make the playoffs. I think if he does, he's a lock. But if the team appears to play better and puts in a good fight i think it's his to lose if it's not him next on the list absolutely is eric quill i have no doubt in my mind that at some point by the end of, by the time we roll around to december we're going to have a dan press conference where he announces one of those two guys he also includes that they had a long list of champions league europa league and globally universally beloved applicants but they chose to go in-house with the safe pick and it's going to be one of those two guys period the end don't be surprised when it happens that way you're boring i'm just being a realist man after following this family and this club for 25 years you should always go with the most obvious answer we will close this out with the prediction of one buzz carrick buzz yeah if i'm a betting man peter i bet on your answer i think that's the bet the safe bet and probably the most likely scenario but i'm gonna slightly veer the, the Hunts are going to remember that their best ever success here was when they went out and got Oscar from another club and brought him back. So I'm not going to say Oscar because Oscar won't want to come back yet. I'm going to say they're going to go get Jealous Hyman. Josima Bazan. He was here and a massive part of the success, proven success at this level. He knows the Hunts. He knows the academy system, having coached in it and brought players along. He knows the talent here in this club. And I bet you money that he probably knows Andres and I a little bit too and vice versa. So I'm going to predict that the that they're going to bring back Jasoma Bazan to be the head coach of this franchise. Wow, that is an interesting prediction. Although, isn't Bazan going to be fully aware of all the reasons why Oscar left this club? And would he want to put himself in that position? Well, that's a question I can't answer, but he does still have family in town here. He has coached professional clubs before, but he's mostly been an assistant, done a lot of youth stuff, you know, has that a license and probably is looking for a chance to make a name as a head coach. We talked about how guys that are looking for that step would be interested in this job versus guys that are 
older and experienced and have the big resume already. So you kind of got to go a little bit outside the norm. And I just think that his familiarity with the club, what, what Oscar might or might not have already told him, what he knows from his time, both in the academy and in the first team, his proven success under the coach that won back-to-back 60 wins, 60 point seasons, won an open cup, won a, a supporter shield, had a shot at a, at a title. And before somebody got hurt and somebody got sold, I just think that like there's a lot to like there and the relationship already exists. The trust level are probably already exists perfectly. Lots of things on his resume to like and qualified and yet might be a guy willing to take a shot. So that's my roll the dice right now. During the time we were recording, Luchi Gonzalez has uh, posted a statement on his social media. It is uh, filled with lots of very heartfelt platitudes and warm feelings and privileges, uh, statements of privilege and honor and love uh, for the club and everything and very understanding and classy as you would expect from Luchi Gonzalez. 100%. Yeah. I will close this with the one weird little twist. Is everybody aware of the fact that the seat that currently sits under one Oscar Perea is a little bit toasty. Because uh, if you go and look at Orlando's performances of late, if I'm not mis, uh, misunderstanding things, they are not exactly in the uh, best position for playoff run at this point. Is there any chance whatsoever the amazing return of one Oscar Perea is it all in the cards? Well, they're I, only three points. They're only three points uh, from being out of the playoffs, or four points almost out of being in the playoffs in the East at this point. Well, I 100% think that the Hunts will ask permission to talk to Oscar and will call Oscar. It's entirely possible that that has already happened. If you want a trigger for the firing of Lucci, and we're going to make a run in and try and do something or whatever because we already know who our coach is going to be. I certainly would buy the scenario that they called Oscar and he's like, absolutely, at the end of the season. Or they've called the ownership. The ownership said, sure, we'll let him out of his contract so he can go. We were thinking about firing him anyway. Yeah, I totally can buy that scenario. Do I think it's likely? No. But I believe it. Absolutely, I would believe it. And I would be super fired up as anyone who is any fan of this team should be, if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, but, they've lost their last three in a row, and that may be where I'm picking up on this uh, attitude about him. But uh, uh, they are not in the best of form at this point, and they're not a lock for the playoffs. Well, so. I, I still like that idea. I just sold you on hiring his best assistant away because I still like that idea. If you just want to make it Oscar instead, I'm in. Let's go. If it's not Oscar, then it's going to be. Then that's why I think it's Josima. Yeah, if you go and look at the form table and, the, and just use the last six games, Orlando actually sits just ahead of FC Dallas in the form table mm. at the, towards the bottom. So mm. just mm. keep that little little seed planted. Now, see how you reacted, Leonel Alvarez? That's how I react to the name of Oscar Pereira. I think that dude is <laughs> heads and shoulders above anything else on the table. The greatest player and coach and influence this club's ever had in terms of his overall extent and time not not the goat player that's jason the overall most important player a player coach locker room front office community all of it combined oscar preha is the guy heart and soul of the franchise dan i don't think there's any chance oscar comes back here at least not now um 
And, well, also, and Dan, there also we all know that the reason why Buzz wants this to happen is because he has Oscar's phone number. And look, phone him and look, it makes it easy for him. I do, yeah, but just, look, he's just looking for a new lunch, buddy. Look, we right. we we talked about the fact one of the things that Oscar didn't like here was they never got a nine. Damn sure got a nine now, don't we? That's true. Yeah, yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah for, well, for until Marco's done. <laughs> yeah, until they sell him this winter. <laughs> yeah, until they. Run yeah. him off or sell him off to wherever it is. Byron's looking at him now or whatever the last latest Oh, man, I hope he doesn't go to Byron. You know, it's yeah. going to be really depressing is when Lucic Gonzalez wins an MLS Cup before FC Dallas. Oh, no. Jesus. That's a decade away, so I hope that's not true. Yeah, that's still happened, though. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, this has been fun, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Lucci is out, as they say. All right. Um, uh, Dan, any last thoughts? Yeah, Leachy won't be out of work for long. Uh, I'm sure he's had a bunch of phone calls today, whether it's academy or some professional level already. Okay. Buzz, any last thoughts? Yeah, I had so much fun today. Let's do it again Wednesday. Ooh. Oh, you mean we get to talk about the loss in Houston yeah. that started this whole thing? Yeah, that game and whatever we see in training this week from Marco and then the next game. So we got a regular podcast to do. Oh, that sounds like fun. Uh, I will close this up by saying anybody who laughed at me for being muted during the uh, Zoom call, I contend I was sabotaged. <laughs> I was not. I just messed up. <laughs> I was fully sabotaged, and I know by who. You wouldn't believe the pressure I was under to get that right after you guys both boned it. <laughs> I did not bone it. I was <laughs> sabotaged. sabotaged. Yeah, okay. And don't you forget I, it. I boned it. <laughs> Uh, thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. As Buzz says, we will speak to you later this week on another regular episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Lucha Gang, Lucha Gang, Lucha Gang. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast.